One of the interesting things that we have found is that um, since the media gets larger, but the individually addressable elements, units, get smaller. And this means that overhead and metadata, etc., and in this case, the MP4 file format, because we do everything with MP4, is, is, is becoming an issue again. So we've been working in MPEG with the, uh, the people that do the MP4 file format to, to make some of the metadata much more efficient in, in, um, in order to get this across efficiently. And I think that will be true for point cloud streaming, which is coming as well. Um, so generally other immersive media where the total amount of data and pixels or voxels or what have you is huge and you only want to retrieve the part that you see and again at the resolution that you see it. So the minimum addressable unit gets smaller and, and metadata and overhead is becoming an issue again. The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Okay, well, welcome back to the Video Insiders. How are you doing, Dror? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? You know, we were able to spend a week together in Amsterdam right. and uh, yeah, it was great seeing all of our video inside meeting all of our video insider audience. Yeah, some of them, uh, most of them, I guess, saw us for the first time. It was just a voice behind the microphone, and now they were able to see us. Some of them even uh, wanted to take a photo, right? Uh, the, you know, so. that's, I, I have to say, I think that's about the first time that that has happened to me. Oh, it happened to me once at NAB. Remember, somebody oh, yeah. came to me after I posted a Facebook video for Beamer, and he said, wow, you're the guy from TV, so <laughs> let's take a picture. <laughs> you're, you're that guy. <laughs> Well, Dror, I think we should jump into our interview today. We have a great one lined up. And um, in fact, um, this one is really interesting. So this company and the person we're talking to, um, I uh, met um, a couple of years ago, I think, and uh, we've had uh, various conversations with them. Um, at the time, uh, we didn't necessarily have the perfect uh, technology alignment. Uh, that has since changed, and uh, I, I reached out to um, to the person that we're going to be interviewing, requesting a meeting at IBC, um, to which he very politely but very directly responded and said, what has changed? Why would I meet with you? <laughs> <laughs> and in all fairness, um, you know, I didn't have the best answer because, um, you know, because I wasn't sure where they're where their development has, has come, how their development has happened over the last couple of years. But I just knew that we needed to get together and that there was something for us to talk about. Well, it turns out one thing led to another. We got a meeting together and uh, it was amazing. And uh, I think we'll be doing some interesting things between our two companies, but that's not what we're here to talk about specifically anyway. And as a result, I know, Dror, you were in that meeting and, you know, we said, you have to come on the podcast. So I am um, really pleased to introduce Rob Coonan, who is a co-founder with a company called Tiled Media. And welcome, Rob. We're so happy to have you. Man, thank you. Uh, what a great introduction, by the way, because it's true. I said, has, has anything, anything changed? changed? Should Why should I come by your booth? <laughs> I did. So, yes, <laughs> let's do this. So it's Tiled Media, and um, as the name suggests, we do tiled streaming. 
uh, and we do so in the VR space. But a little bit of background, it was about, well, seven years ago, seven and a half years ago, we started a project in a Dutch research organization called TNO, which is a little bit like Fraunhofer. A lot of your listeners will know Fraunhofer, but just in the Netherlands. And we started to research streaming of really high-resolution content, like 8K. It wasn't around at the time, but we knew it would be at some day. And we also knew that we would like to be able to, 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 to transmit this to mobile devices like phones and tablets. And we developed this child streaming solution where you could like zoom in and pan in content while only sending the pixels that you see at the resolution that they're being displayed. And then uh, uh, fast forward a few years, 2016, uh, VR became a, a huge hype. And uh, it turned out that this style streaming was the perfect solution for the problem that uh, that VR poses, which uh, the quality problem. And I'm sure we get to talk about this. And interestingly, uh, talking about 360, uh, we've started to look at this uh, 8K content again, uh, streaming 8K content to mobile devices while only streaming what you see at the resolution that you see it. But I think today we should talk a little bit about uh, virtual reality or VR360, as people call it. Yeah, VR is a topic that has been, I've been fascinated with it uh, personally uh, since, uh, you know, it started to um, uh, to emerge uh, because of this kind of uh, immersive uh, experience, which really changes everything. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the way, the ways that we have, uh, uh, that we've used to um, consume media. And typically, our media consumption is staring at a rectangle, right? So it started with, with books. You read a book, you're staring at a rectangle. You read a newspaper, you're staring at a rectangle. You're watching TV, you're looking at the computer screen, you're scrolling on your tablet, you're uh, uh, checking the news on your phone. Every time, all you do is staring at some rectangle. And uh, it's the same experience over and over again. It just goes uh, digital. It goes over IP. Uh, you get better resolution. But still, this is what you are doing. And, and VR actually changes this whole experience to something that is immersive, something that is all around you. You're not staring at the rectangle anymore. You're looking all around you, and everything is filled with this kind of uh, experience. Yeah, and it's video without borders, as some people put it, without frames. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's a, that, that's a great term, I think. So the the, the need for eight K uh, comes from uh, the, the the you know this space, this no borders, uh, which is all around you that you need to represent. And if you in inside your field of view, which you are watching. Uh, Either with a like a huge screen or dome, or typically with um, with these uh, VR uh, uh, glasses or headsets, uh, you want to get good resolution there. Uh, and if that piece, you know, has like decent resolution, then all of the space around you needs a much higher resolution because it is made out of these, um, you know, viewports that you can look around. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe uh, if I could explain a little bit. So in VR, you, you're, you're in the middle of pixels, as you, as you said, uh, drawer. You're in the middle of a sphere. And um, if I look at, uh, you only see a part of the sphere. With current headsets, it's about one-eighth or one-sixth uh, of that sphere. 
but you put these pixels right in front of your eyes with uh, big magnifying glasses. And then also, uh, if you have like a screen, you usually split it in two because you, you need a screen for both eyes. You need a, a screen for each individual eye, basically. Meaning that the resolution per eye becomes something like 1K by 1K or 1.5K by 1.5K. And it fills your entire field of view. And it's these pixels get huge. Mm -hmm. So people ask uh, if I if I tell them we do 8K VR streaming. And they tell me, uh, so why do I need 8K? I don't even see the difference with 4K. It's useless. <laughs> and, <laughs> but that's when well, you're staring at the rectangle, not when you're exploring the whole space around you, right? Yeah, exactly. And I end up telling them that, uh, well, 8K, I think it's it's not even enough yet. We have to go beyond. We have to go to 16K um, and maybe even more to get uh, somewhere near the, uh, the resolution, the kind of pixels per degree that we mm -hmm. get with 8K or 4K screens at reasonable viewing distances. So we have a ways to go. But 8K is, starts to get there as a, as a production format. So 8K in VR means it's, we, uh, we usually call, we usually work with equi-rectangular projections, and they are 2 by 1 in aspect ratio. So 8K in this case, case means 32 million pixels, 8, 8 by 4K. And uh, when you... Uh want to stream these uh, 8K pixels yeah. uh, from, from the source to your device, what kind of uh, issues do you uh, run into? Well, there's two issues, really, and this is why VR has been such a horrible experience to date, because the quality is, uh, is really low. Uh, people do uh, 4K or they, they even do HD for the, for the whole image. But the problem is that, uh, yeah, and, and if you <laughs> read those... That uh, terrible. Yeah. But I'm surprised, and people do it. They do it. But anyway, so when you um, you wrap these pixels around you, you only see a part of it. And uh, in the classical way of streaming, you stream everything. So you stream like eight, six to eight times as many pixels as you see. And not only do you need to stream them and consume the bandwidth, you only also need to decode them, which obviously is a, quite a strain on your decoder. And... Uh, uh, and most devices don't have, even have an 8K decoder yet. So even so, that's the problem, right? You have to deliver it, and you have to decode it. Right, and and I saw that uh, I noticed at least like one or two years back. Maybe it's still true today that the decoders, those VR headsets, uh, don't even support um, many of them. At, at least at that time, didn't support HVC. So when you were delivering 4K, that was still with the AVC codec, which is uh, less efficient. Yeah, fortunately, that has changed. Uh, oh, the HEVC, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's really... Otherwise, we couldn't do our trick, which, uh, which uh, I'm sure I'll get to explain next. But mm -hmm. uh, most uh, or all headsets support uh, level 5.1 HEVC at this point in hardware decoding. So that's good. And it's the same in all iOS devices. It's the same in Android devices. So it's a good, uh, that's a good basis to work with. Speaking of resolutions, so you just mentioned, uh, you know, rectangular um, 8, 8K by 4K. But, but I think you guys are also working in 8K by 8K. Is that, is, is that correct? Um, we will. Um, we actually have worked in 12K uh, already. Really, uh, 12K um, square. Yeah, 12, 12K by. Uh, this would be this would be 12K by by 6K okay. because uh, some of the devices are starting to get 8K decoders, so we can do 12K and and even higher video on them. Mm. But um, 
if you talk about 8K by 8K, that probably would be a uh, stereoscopic yeah. video. Yeah. Um, and you really have just very little dependency between the two eyes that you can usefully exploit in video coding, even if the devices had like uh, spatially scalable video decoders on board, which they don't. Mm -hmm. So you really need to transmit the image for each eye uh, separately. And they are slightly different images even. Mm. But um, so if we have a square uh, source image, it's usually called top, bottom, uh, backed. So the uh, one eye is the top and the other eye is the bottom. You know, I think it's fair to say that tile-based encoding is kind of been in the, you know, academic realm in the sense that, you know, it gets um, discussed by video encoding practitioners at, you know, conferences like what Drawer just returned from, SPIE. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, right. uh, it, right. you know, and there's lots of cool, you know, academic and there's, you know, but 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 it's not necessarily so prevalent in, in uh, actual production. Um, and that's for good reason. It's hard, <laughs> right? So why don't you give us an introduction to what tiled encoding is and how you are implementing? Okay. And let's, yes. So let's start with the basics. I already talked about this uh, equirectangular projection, this huge uh, rectangle. Uh, what we do is we uh, we cut that up in tiles and then we only uh, stream the tiles that you actually see in your field of view. And then, um, so there's a couple of things here. If you move your head, uh, you obviously uh, need to retrieve new tiles real fast. And maybe we can talk a little bit about the CDN implications of this and uh, the latency implications. But it, it means we have all these individually encoded tiles. Um, and we stitch those tiles back together uh, in two ways, basically, because all these tiles are individual bit streams. So we need to stitch the bit streams back together into a single legal bitstream, uh, which can go to the hardware decoder that, uh, like I said, most devices have these days. And uh, we also need to stitch the uh, the resulting tiles because they don't come back from the decoder as one consistent image. You get sort of a sliding puzzle back from the uh, from the from the decoder in the device, and you need to stitch those tiles back together again as well before you display them, before you render them. Mm. So um, that's stitching the pixels. Yes. So there is, um, you talked about the tile-based encoding. Um, uh, HEVC supports tiles. It supports something called motion-constrained tile sets. And uh, AV1 uh, does too, which uh, we are very happy with because we'll start supporting AV1 next as a way to go to, to desktops and browsers. Um, but... Um, so there's basically two ways of doing this. First is sort of the classical way. I take this whole 8K image. I, I run it through an MCTS-enabled encoder, HEVC encoder, and then I, I tease out the tiles at the end and I package them individually. And, and this is feasible, right? Uh, but what we have found is it's, more, it's much easier and much more um, uh, efficient to encode all of the, the first tease out the tiles, just to take the source image, cut it up in tiles, and then encode all of these tiles individually. And it means because we have a we have implemented this in, uh, in Amazon Web Services and in Google Cloud, and it means that we can just uh, have a whole lot of encoders working for us in parallel. And uh, just as, as long as they're already in time, 
then we can do all of these tiles in parallel and then we package them up. So we found that it's more efficient to just first do the tiling and then do the encoding, then first do the encoding and then do the tiling. And we found this out pretty early on. So if you first do the tiling, then you can actually use the regular encoder. The encoder doesn't need to support tiles because you're giving it just a single tile, right? Yeah, that's that's almost completely true, uh, except that because you don't know where the tile is going to be in the decoder, you do need some uh, motion constraints, motion mm-hmm. vector constraints, because otherwise right. there could be motion vectors pointing out of the uh, out of from outside of the tile, and uh, the tile would end up something somewhere else in the decoder, and it would uh, take wrong pixels for prediction. So mm-hmm. you need to implement uh, some, and this is really the only thing that needs to be fixed. And we've done it with a number of uh, of encoders, right? And, and as you know, Beamer also f- fully supports uh, tiled encoding, and that's why we are talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why we're talking together, indeed. So, um, so it's all doable. As uh, you have to find all the code paths where these uh, these vectors are generated and uh, need to be constrained. Uh, but that's that's perfectly doable. And then on the decoding side, uh, we work with unmodified hardware decoders, which is why this all works, because we can use the hardware decoders in the headsets, but also on the flat devices, because a lot of VR content, while it's meant for headsets and while you have the best experience in a VR headset, a lot of it's consumed on uh, tablets and uh, mobile phones by just uh, swiping and pinching and zooming. What, what kind of uh, delay constraints do you need to have when you are doing this tiled streaming? And I, I assume that you send um, a few tiles on, on both sides because, or maybe on four sides, because you don't know whether the user will tilt uh, will tilt his or her head uh, right or left or up or down. Yeah. But if they do it very fast, then, you know, maybe the tile uh, doesn't have a chance to get there in time. So... What's the typical uh, latency that is required in this type of application? Yeah, those are good questions. So there's a there's three types of latency that I would like to uh, to mention. First is motion to photon latency. That's the time between when you turn your head and you get the accurate uh, pixels, the pixel shift in your headset. And then there is what we call motion to high resolution latency. That is the time between when you move your head and you get actual high-resolution tiles. And then there's end-to-end delay, just a glass-to-glass or a hand-waving delay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe a little bit background on the system. So we send these tiles, but we also always send a low-resolution background, meaning that when you move your, move your head, you have a, a, a view that's consistent with your head motion. And this is really important because otherwise you would see black or you would even uh, get sick. And we, d- we don't want And that. this is to solve so the that, motion to photon delay. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And the motion to photon latency is purely determined by the device itself because these pixels are available um, either in high or low, a low resolution. And it's purely up to the device. And this is in the but range the in- of like 20 to 40 milliseconds, just, just to put some parameters on it? Yeah, it depends a little bit on the headset and how they do the decoding and, and if they have buffers, etc. Interesting. So it's headset dependent. It's completely headset dependent, yes. Yeah. But the motion to high resolution latency is, that's the thing that we try to optimize and that everything we do is optimizing this. Now... As you, you can imagine that you could, in theory, you could uh, prefetch 
neighboring tiles to the headset, but that would obviously, meaning the tiles that are outside your immediate field of view, but that would obviously increase the bandwidth and it would increase the bandwidth quite significantly. So what we usually try to ensure is that the neighboring tiles are available not in the headset itself, but at the edge cache of the CDN. And if that's the case, and uh, we've worked with Akamai and done a lot of optimization, then uh, the high-resolution tiles typically are available within uh, two or three frames at uh, at 30 frames per second, meaning 60 to to um, to 90 milliseconds. And uh, the way, because of the way the eye works, if you move your head, there is this uh, vestibulo-ocular reflex which means you move your head but your eyes stay put for a little while it's just like a a chicken walking the head stays just stays put while the chicken (laughs) yeah well (laughs) you know you get the picture right yeah 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 we know there was a commercial with that chicken (laughs) all right yeah well your eyes do something similar they stay like behind while you turn your head and then they follow and by the time you have readjusted your eyes uh some uh, 60 milliseconds will have passed. And basically, you can't turn your head any faster than basically one tile per 60 milliseconds. If you start to do the math, it's like 500 degrees per second is the maximum speed of either your head or your eyes. I was surprised to learn, but it's it's about the same uh, speed for your eyes and your head. Um, which means this is a long and technical story, but what it comes down to, if you do this well and the CDN works well, uh, it's virtually unnoticeable, even if you uh, if you don't retrieve those tiles in advance. You move your head, and then uh, almost instantly the high-resolution tiles are decoded. By the time you, you have readjusted your eyes and refocused and everything, the, the high-resolution tiles are there. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a live VR experience, right? So those tiles are cached live. Yeah. So this works for both for on-demand and live, um, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, what we've done at IBC is uh, we broadcast five days live, 8K VR, from the uh, future Trends Theater. Um, so, yes, this is uh, the whole system works the same, really literally the same for live and on-demand. Obviously, there's some other constraints if you want to do live encoding and if you want to do live CDN ingest. But for the rest, it works the same. Mark, did you see their demo? I that did. Was I did. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, and, and in fact, Rob, is that live? Uh, I mean, is that online somewhere? Did IBC post that that people could go back and view it? You know, there is there there is the IBC three hundred and sixty live app that is still available, okay. and it it has some clips in it, and we will be making more clips available uh, from IBC. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have to include a link in the show notes because I think some some of our listeners will definitely want to go check that out. So uh, I guess it wasn't that easy. I mean, uh, you, you showed it to me on a mobile device um, during the show, you know, 8K live streaming from uh, the, the, the conference that went on in the next hall. And you could just um, um, move that device uh, around and see everything that was happening um, in 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 that uh, in that space at very high quality. So, um, can you tell us a bit about how you um, built that uh, experience at IBC and what was required to make it work? Yes, yes. So this was a 
quite an amazing cooperation of quite a few partners that came together. Uh, in retrospect, uh, I think uh, it was a big gamble because there were so many moving parts. But the interesting thing is, while this had never been done before, uh, streaming a conference in 8KVR, um, all of the pieces that we put together exist and uh, are commercially available. So, but maybe we should take an end-to-end -end look. Um, obviously, there were cameras. Um, then there was, um, and these were Kandao cameras. They do 8K. Then there was stitching software, which was uh, done by Voices. And then we, um, so the, and the image was produced in a way that not just do you have a 360 view of the room. There's also an insert of the slides that the speakers were showing or the videos that the speakers were showing. This was digitally inserted in the production, meaning that uh, you had a very good view of the uh, of the, the material that speakers used. Yeah, you know, Rob, I, I really like that part. I, I found that, you know, because uh, usually when you stream a conference in, in regular uh, video and the camera is like filming the PowerPoint presentation on the screen and that's only part of the image and uh, you know it gets done with video encoding and small movements etc so the quality is is not really good and the slides are very readable and what you did actually is inside the virtual reality view of the conference room you actually kind of inserted the graphics of the slides back into the um, uh, image um, as graphics, as still images. And those were streamed as images, very high quality. Uh, so you could see the presenter and you could see the slides and the logos um, coming in very uh, uh, at excellent quality. And I think, you know, the combined uh, kind of mixed uh, media experience um, was was very nice, very innovative. Oh, thank you. And and actually, we made it a bit larger than the original screen. So uh, yes, so we kind of it, it was a way to cope with the relatively still relatively low resolution of those headsets, but uh, let people experience the full the full uh, power of the talk. Um, and actually, one of the things IBC itself had said is that this was a was a complete new because IBC was a partner in all of this, and they said it was a completely new way of uh, of doing a, a show and very interesting way. So, but let me pick up where we left off. So I was talking about the production, and then we uh, we um, arranged a high speed uplink from the local uh, telco to KPN, which also supplied the bandwidth to IBC. And we got some 400 megabits because we had two cameras and we, we reserved 200 megabits per second per camera. Uh, we didn't use it all. I think we encoded at some 150 megabits per second for the 8K, uh, for the mezzanine. We uploaded that to Google Cloud uh, where we had the our packaging software run with Intel's open source SVT HEVC encoder. That's where everything was cut up in tiles. And then we ingested it into Akamai. And that's an interesting challenge in itself because uh, normal streams don't exceed like uh, 40, 30, 40 megabits per second ever, even if they are adaptive, adaptively encoded. But we uh, ingest uh, somewhere in the range between 100 and 150 megabits, just, uh, just the total sum of the tiles. And this is because we encode each of the tiles twice to have a long gob for a fast switching speed and a, and a, sorry, a short gob for fast switching and a long gob for good quality. And then there's the background. So all in all, you have per camera feed, you have like 200 tiles that are 
about SD in, in resolution and they all need to be ingested at the same time in, in the CDN. So we ended up having six parallel ingests per camera, 45 megabit MSL ingest for people that know how Akamai works uh, per camera with a special configuration to put the tiles back together again um, after the uh, the ingests. So that was then um, ingested to uh, an origin in Europe for Akamai. And from there, it was distributed around the world. And this was really a first the first time we did worldwide distribution. We've done uh, regional distribution before in Europe and Asia, but we've never done worldwide distribution before. So this was really a first. So what was the bandwidth of the ingest from uh, uh, from the location um, into into Europe, the total bandwidth? And what was the bandwidth, typical bandwidth that was received by each user? Okay, so I think the bandwidth of the ingest was about uh, around 120 megabits per second of all the tiles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and twice, because we had two cameras on the first day. And then the average user bit rate um, it is around 12. Uh, if the image is relatively static, it goes down. But it also depends on how fast you move your head, right? So that becomes dynamic. So it, it hovered between... Then you retrieve more tiles as you move from the cache. Correct. Yeah. This is interesting. So you said... You said- 12 megabits um, was the average user bandwidth, and this is 8K, right? So it's, uh, it's not no, okay. it's, part of it. Yeah, that's a good It's not the source of the content is 8K. What you end up. So, Rob, I mean, correct, correct my math here. So, I know that you said your bandwidth, um, I mean, your approach to streaming reduces by about a factor of five. And, and, and so, if I'm doing my math right, it, it would be that you're. Like like your 8K encode would be like about 60 megabits, right? So five times 12, 60. But but you're actually streaming um, to, uh, roughly you know one fifth or 12 megabits to the actual end user. Is that? And I'm thinking about it the yeah. right way. Is that correct? Like if I was streaming the full frame 8K, it'd be 60. Okay, yes. so this is really interesting because our demo where we were showing 8K, and I know you saw that was 60 megabits. You know, yes. and yeah, yes. what a cool, what a, what what a, what a coincidence. <laughs> so, and and by the way, you know, compared to you know what NHK and uh, others who are streaming at like a hundred megabits, even sixty is 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 quite an achievement. You know, to get reasonable quality. Okay, I, I wanted to check my uh, my numbers there, but your numbers are spot on. So yes, and and because you do have to. Co- because if you compare to the 120 sure, sure, that we sure. put in, uh, yeah. obviously it's less. But but that's that's exactly. every tile yeah, twice, etc. But you just we usually if we do 8K, we usually fill up the 4K yeah, decoder okay. of the device. So you you stream about 4K worth of uh, of pixels. So it all okay. yes, it all makes sense. And and we usually claim a factor of four five to four. So just. Uh, not to exaggerate uh, too much, but yes, it's still uh, it's still worth it. So I cut you off. Sorry, sorry. Uh, around the you, you were talking about the ingest, you know, to Akamai, and uh, yeah, yeah, I was almost done because from there it uh, we developed a special app which you just mentioned, by the way. It was done by Iconic Engine. Uh, they're a, an XR provider. They d- developed a special uh, IBC three hundred and sixty live app, and then uh, that was distributed, and then we uh, we streamed it. And it's interesting because what I showed you on the trade show was just coming in over 4G. So 
and I must say the bandwidth was pretty amazing this year. It's been horrible past years, but this year I could, there were the first day when we streamed Intel's visual cloud conference with two cameras, there were people lined up outside the door and uh, they couldn't get in because the room was full. And I, I saw several people watching the, the conference <laughs> through the app. Uh, one of them even on a headset and other people on, uh, on tablets um, at the same time, even uh, all over 4g and some of the uh, IBC Wi-Fi. So that was pretty amazing. That's awesome. Well, we, this is probably an excellent uh, point to talk about CDN and distribution. You know, we've, 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 we've covered a little bit and you've hinted that, you know, there are some differences um, over traditional streaming. And so why don't you uh, explain to us, you know, what's going on and what the trends are and, you know, um, how you're, how you're solving them, how you're addressing them when it comes to distribution of these, yeah these experiences. Yeah, that's a good question because I think we're hitting something that is going to be uh, generic to a lot of immersive media and not just for us um, because we're getting, we used to be getting higher and higher resolution images and they, so meaning broader and broader streams, but there were still singular streams, meaning there's just one stream and maybe you switch every now and then because of bandwidth conditions, you switch between your dash profiles, but it's still one single stream, right? But what we get now is that in order to, to reconstruct the media on the user end, and this is true whether it's a, a headset or a tablet or a phone, you need to retrieve many individual streams, and they're much smaller each individually. So what we do is we use HTTP2, and we're looking forward to uh, to moving to Quick once it's uh, it's really stabilized. And we've been doing a little bit of research already with Akamai on Quick, but we use HTTP HTTP2 at this point, and we use um, uh, multi-part uh, byte range requests into these tiles, which means that we have a number of parallel uh, requests open, and that we can cancel again if the tile goes out of view. Elements, units get smaller. And this means that overhead and metadata, etc., and in this case, the MP4 file format, because we do everything with MP4, is, is, is becoming an issue again. So we've been working in MPEG with the, uh, the people that do the MP4 file format to, to make some of the metadata much more efficient in, in, um, in order to get this across efficiently. And I think that will be true for point cloud streaming, which is coming as well. Um, so generally other immersive media where the total amount of data and pixels or voxels or what have you is huge and you only want to retrieve the part that you see and again at the resolution that you see it. So the minimum addressable unit gets smaller and, and metadata and overhead is becoming an issue again. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's really great that you're addressing this issue you know, within the standards uh, committee, because it will help everybody that is uh, streaming these uh, smaller and smaller chunks um, over the internet. And you talked about, uh, you know, future application of point cloud streaming. Uh, but w when I hear, you know, about HTTP2 and Quick, you know, this is really cutting edge stuff. But the, the it, interestingly, it's cutting edge that works today because as you know, you showed us the demo and it just, uh, it, it works. I mean, you do need a few partners uh, who, who support these cutting edge technologies um, across the video distribution chain, 
but uh, once you do that, it just works. And that's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a surprising amount. If you look at uh, uh, YouTube, uh, I believe it may already use uh, Google's version of Quick. There's a surprising yes, amount right. of the traffic already around. And uh, yeah, it's cutting edge, but it's all it's all pieced together with elements that work today, which is, uh, I think that's the part that we were most proud of when we pulled this off, is that it, uh, it can all be bought today and implemented today. Yeah, I think that's that's really key, Rob. You know, I just echo what Dror said. Uh, your the way that you've chosen to approach the market and build your solution is is very much how we think. Um, it, it's easy to kind of go off and engineer these really exotic solutions, right? And you know, and it's cool and it's fun, but at the end of the day, if, if you can't take off the shelf. Um, products and, 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 and your solution will work or with very, very, very small, um, uh, you know, customization and it will work, then you really don't have something that's commercially viable, you know? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased. And, um, I think, uh, m- many of our listeners, you, you know, are also working for commercial companies where, you know, at the end of the day, it's fun to talk about what's possible, but you know, you have to ship something that works. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. So, but maybe, you know, um, as, as, as we approach the, the, the end of this episode, we talk about the future. Because it seems that you've already implemented, you know, 8K streaming, the future is today. Uh, but what lies ahead in terms of uh, the future of VR from, from a technology perspective? Uh, you know, 5G, um, a higher bandwidth, uh, Wi-Fi. Um, what kind of technologies are you looking um, into using um, in the next few years that will make the VR streaming experience much better? Okay. That's a Great question, um, and there's probably I can talk for hours on this, but let's try to be. Su- <laughs> I'll try to be succinct. Now, I think VR. So let's start in 2016. If you remember, VR was was big, uh, was huge. Uh, they couldn't hit uh, a booth at IBC, and you, you wouldn't. And there was no. There would always be VR. And then it kind of disappeared. Uh, there was a huge disappointment because it didn't happen overnight. And then I thought it was encourage, encouraging this year to see it come back. If you looked at the Huawei booth, for instance, it was all about 8K VR and cloud VR, etc. So it's coming back. But you have to realize that in order for this to happen, there's a whole ecosystem that needs to come into place. And uh, I think the biggest challenge we had was not the distribution part, was the was the production part, getting good enough cameras, uh, getting good enough production software, uh, making sure the audio and the video are in sync, basic things that have been solved in in regular video. Um, we are still solving in VR because we're we're using much higher resolutions, and so there's all sorts of challenges that have to be solved at the production side. Then on the other end, uh, we know that today's headsets are barely there in terms of resolution. They're still pixelated. They have, they have this screen door effect, uh, meaning you can see the black lines between the pixels uh, because you put the pixels in front of your eyes behind these big magnifying glasses. So that has to be solved as well. But it's And then there has to be editing software. We have to get the distribution chains in place. So there's a lot of parts that all need to move and they need to move together uh, 
because then it becomes possible to monetize this this new medium and to it becomes uh, profitable to make content. So it's all these things that have to move together and they are moving. We're seeing better cameras coming out. We're seeing providers experimenting with high resolution VR like we did with British Telecom in the FA Cup final, for instance. Uh, we see uh, higher and higher resolution headsets coming out. Uh, so all these things are being addressed, but it just takes time. So I'm seeing an, uh, a slow revolution or a slow evolution rather, rather than the revolution that had been predicted uh, three years ago. I see this evolution all playing out and gradually uh, VR will become a medium that's, that's um, um, how do I put this? That, that's just like a pleasant user experience. For, uh, for the end user, but people make great content and they do things like inserting uh, slides or if it's a, if you're remotely attending a football game or a soccer game, as they say in America, you have a big jumbotron, a uh, virtual jumbotron uh, above, above you where you can watch the edited version or the director version of the, of the match and you still feel you're with your friends in that match. So it's it's that stuff too that needs to happen. It all needs to happen, and it will become a great experience because there's no doubt that, as you said, drawer, it's just a completely different experience. It's transformative, and we've only begun the journey. So I'm looking forward to all these elements of the chain becoming better, and uh, to us playing our delivery part. It's interesting. So um, I, I think what I'm seeing, and so validate if this is correct, that. These major events um, that are produced as major events, I should say, are produced and people experience them in VR. Um, is it possible that that is going to be the pool for then other content types? Um, you know, like 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 you say, football matches, uh, you know, conferences, those sorts of things. Is, is that what you're seeing? Like what's going to be, I guess the question I'm asking myself is what's the hook you know, what's the candy <laughs> that, you know, experience Maybe the kid are going to say, yeah. Oh, I've now, you know, because I think there's still a lot of people when it comes to VR, um, there's still that headset thing, you know, like, ah, I don't, you know, it's kind of weird to wear goggles, you know, some people there, you know, maybe it's just not comfortable, but yet every time somebody puts on a headset, and, and ex, you know, they always take it off and go, wow, you know, like my, but like getting there to do it is hard, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that it's, what's interesting to see is that some people approach it from, okay, we'll start with tablets and phones. Uh, we'll record VR. We record 360 or 180. Some of them do 180, but we'll start with tablets and phones. And then other people say, no, 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 this has to be a headset experience. I will just target headset. So, we're working with two parties in the same country. They do the same sport, and they take completely opposite approaches, which is which is very interesting to see. Um, but yeah, headset is a big obstacle. Um, but this will be they will get smaller, they will get lighter, they will get easier to wear, they will get higher resolution. So it's all a matter of time because it's so transformative. It's been tried for literally, uh, I think, sixty years now, if if it's not more. And uh, but only now is it possible to put all this video processing software in a headset in a standalone headset. The fact that they're becoming standalone, that they're untethered, also makes a big difference. So it's all these 
human factors issues that will uh, that need to be resolved. And if you asked what's the killer app, it's definitely sports. Um, what is hugely important is the location of the camera. That's something that we've learned over and over again. It's location, location, location. It's just like you're trying to sell a house. So the position of the camera is hugely important. And what's interesting with VR, you don't need to be confined to one sp- uh, place because we've done productions and the, the user can just, the viewer can change their position from one goal to the other, to the middle, uh, to somewhere up in the stands. Um, but it's, it's, so it's sports, it's, uh, it's music. There's people working on amazing music experiences. And if you're a fan of a band and you will want to get the VR experience, especially when it's getting social, and that's also what's being worked on. Like the first thing people always say when they put on a VR headset, say, yeah, this is nice, but uh, I miss, uh, I, I'm now isolated from my environment. But interestingly, you can be connected to people that are not near at all, that are very remote, and you can experience the same thing with them, the same game or the same concert. You can talk to them. Uh, you can even see them in, in some form. Um so it can be a very social experience too. And I think that's one of the keys as well to making this a success. Uh, and then there's the professional market, as we've said, uh, it's for conferences, but it's definitely being used for um, in the medical uh, arena. Uh, one of our customers uh, is doing exposure therapy. People that have, uh, are af- afraid of flying or afraid of heights or uh, afraid of open spaces, uh, they get exposed in VR and they can they can pull off their headset if it becomes too much, but it's it's extremely real. Um, so yes, there's a, a lot of uses and uh, I'm confident it will uh, it will keep growing. Um, yeah, very interesting. I, I have a kind of um, um, off-topic question. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> bonus question. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the Dutch video ecosystem. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, I hear a lot about Dutch companies in the space of uh, video, you know, your company, uh, there's uh, Unified Streaming, one of our partners uh, who are doing the packaging. And you mentioned, of course, uh, TNO, which has uh, a lot of research into video compression for many, many years. Um, You know, Endemol Shine, uh, you know, huge uh, international uh, company and content. Uh, And then there's the IBC, right? Second largest uh, uh, video uh, show in the world. It's in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, w- what is the reason? I mean, is IBC there because so many uh, Dutch companies are in the field, or is it uh, vice versa? IBC is driving um, all of that innovation, or is it something special about the country or the ecosystem um, that makes it uh, very friendly to all of this, uh, you know, video technology? The Holland is very open to innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and on all levels, uh, it's uh, it's a very innovative country. And it used we used to uh, have a lot of video coding research with Philips, but that mm-hmm. ki- kind of that kind of went away. Uh, there's actually comparatively little video, actual hardcore video coding research. There's not so much anymore, I don't think, if you compare it to France, for instance. But uh, it's just innovation. And the Shine is a very innovative content production company. Uh, unified streaming, they innovate streaming. Um, so it's it's innovation that's uh, and like our company we we like to think we are an innovative company as well. And there's room for innovation in the Netherlands, so I think that's what uh, what you see around the industries, but uh, definitely also in the media industry. And uh, 
why IBC is in Holland. I think it became too expensive in Brighton or too small in Brighton. Uh, <laughs> that's why <laughs> that's why he decided to uh, to move to Amsterdam. I think it was twenty plus years ago, maybe twenty five. Uh, so I'm not sure that's necessarily connected. It's also central, mm-hmm. you know, is what I think. It's Amsterdam, so easy to get to um, throughout. It's oh yeah, very central. Yeah. It's, it's central, so. yeah, to the oh, world. Well, not well so much but to but Europe, that's but, what I mean yeah. to the world. And you know, as much as yes, IBC is a European show. Um, you know, we we go because Europe is important to us, and it's and it's growing significantly. But also because many, in fact, I think it's fair to say all of our um, North American customers are there. So um, yeah, 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 no, yeah. Yeah. And I've I've talked to potential customers from uh, from China, from uh, from from yeah. Hong Kong, La- Latin America, the US, very all strong, over the world. you know, support too. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, Mark, uh, we we started with IBC and uh, we're ending with IBC, and in the middle, we went through a fascinating journey in virtual worlds, uh, streamed in 8K to your handset and uh, headset uh, today. So uh, I really think it was uh, amazing, very enlightening um, uh, for me at least. And uh, Rob, I'd like to thank you for uh, joining us today and uh, sharing your uh, technical experience and all of your VR experiences, uh, uh, components and workflows uh, with us. I'm sure it was uh, very interesting to our listeners. So uh, thank you very much for that. Yes, Rob. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mark and Rob. This was uh, this was uh, thoroughly. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, thanks again, Rob. And we will have you back um, maybe after you know the next big event. We'll uh, we'll have you come back on, and you can give us uh, lessons learned and uh, take us through you know what you did. So uh, yeah, we have something cooking. I can't tell you yet. Okay, but we have something cooking. So All right. All right. Well, <laughs> stay stay tuned to the Video Insiders. Um, you heard it here first. Okay. Well, have a great day, everyone. And as we always say, happy encoding. <laughs> happy encoding. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.